You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a weekly news podcast made possible by members of The Local. We are recording this episode on Thursday the 8th of June and this week we'll be talking about the Swedish krona hitting new lows and when it's likely to recover. With the holidays coming up, we'll recommend a few places well worth a visit this summer. Also, Zlatan Ibrahimovic retired from football this week after a hugely successful career, but his legacy off the pitch is also sure to leave a lasting impression. And we'll look at how there's a case to be made that he single-handedly changed Sweden. Finally, we'll discuss Sweden's complicated relationship with flags and what it is about Sweden that makes it a place worth celebrating. I'm Paul Amani and I'm joined today by James Savage in Stockholm and Richard Orange and Becky Waterton in Malmö. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 You all good? Yeah, really good. Thank you. I've been busily trying to choose what kind of fencing I'm going to have on my allotment. So it's been a very busy week. I sp- I sp- hang on, hang on. Just keep the small talk very short. Come on. Okay, sorry. <laughs> R- Richard, that was impeccable. You didn't say anything. He's just on an eyebrow raise. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work in radio. <laughs> no, I'm being I'm being mystic, as they call it in Swedish. Okay. They don't call you mystic Richard for nothing. I bought a fridge. That's quite not very exciting. <laughs> that is quite yeah. mystic. You... Becky, you've been filling our group chat with um, sex and lies this week. Can you please explain? <laughs> yes, I will do my best, um, although the entire story is quite bizarre. So essentially, rumours are going around in international media that Sweden has just made sex an official sport and is celebrating that by hosting the European Sex Championships this week. There are two stories okay. here. The first one is to claim that Sweden has made sex an official sport. And I'm very sorry to break it to you, but it hasn't. Um, What has happened is that the very official sounding Swedish Sex Federation applied to become a member of the Swedish Sports Confederation, (laughs) Riksidrottsförbundet, late last year. So if that had been accepted, I guess sex would have become an official sport in Sweden. One of the most entertaining things about this whole story is actually reading the application and the Sports Confederation's response to it. I managed to find it. The Confederation asked for kind of do you have your accounting books for the past three years? Can you give us a list of your members? And can you give us a detailed description of the rules of competition? And they also, this really made me laugh, they also asked if the Sex Federation's members were föreningar eller fysiska personer. So like clubs or physical people. I was like, I suspect they are quite physical, actually. Um, But anyway, the Sex Federation, the self, you know, they call themselves the Sex Federation, self-proclaimed Sex Federation, never submitted these extra documents, meaning that their application was just rejected straight out and the Confederation never had to consider whether sex actually should be considered a sport or not. But I suspect Mm. it probably wouldn't have been considered a sport. Anyway, what is true 
is that the Swedish Sex Federation is holding a European sex championship, although it is not at all oh supported or approved by the Sports Federation. It is just some people having sex live on camera for an online audience in an undisclosed location somewhere near Jönköping. Basically a gross old sex party then. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's, it's a, just it, some people having sex on camera for, you know. It, it's like chess. It's like chess, <laughs> isn't it? Is it? Is it sport or is it just an enjoyable activity? <laughs> <laughs> or golf or snooker, yeah. Now, there is also this even more bizarre disinformation aspect. Sweden has a habit of, you know, calling anything a disinformation campaign, but this, they actually might have a point here. So the incorrect version of this story has been spread by Russia Today. It's been spread by some Arabic language media abroad, and it's been used to kind of illustrate Swedish decadence, Swedish hedonism, general immorality, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's also been picked up by quite a few Indian newspapers, perhaps in part due to the fact that the judging guidelines for the competition state that the highest scoring category is for the couple who are most artistic, according to the Kama Sutra, among other things. <laughs> um, but yeah, unfortunately, any international media, if you're listening, this is all not true. It's not official. It's not an official sport. And this so-called European sex championship is just one guy that's decided to try and make this a thing. I do think this is representative of a lot of those stories you see in the international media about Sweden. Sweden has this sort of like reputation as being this, you know, ridiculously ultra liberal place. And I think that there are quite a lot of countries, there are quite a lot of people out there who like publishing these kind of stories to kind of discredit Sweden. And I think we've seen it. We've seen it before and, you know, it, it discredits Sweden in all sorts of ways, particularly though if you, you know, if you don't like Sweden's foreign policy, you discredit Sweden's morality. And, mm. you know, I think, you know, the fact that Sweden's reputation in so many areas precedes it makes it a bit of a target for mm. this kind of thing. And I think this is, you know, this is not the first time we've seen this. Yeah. Kind of and it's not the first time Swedes have been portrayed as naked, sex loving people. Like yeah. this has been going on no. for like decades. There's that brilliant film, uh, what's it called? The Italian um, yes. Mondo Doc, like a Sweden, heaven or hell. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant. Do 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 look it up. It's fascinating. <laughs> you can find it on YouTube, but it's not it's not it's not it's not it's not dirty. So you you can you you can. I think there um, might be some boobs and bums safely. There might be some boobs and bums, but not dirty by Swedish standards. I think we have an article about yeah, it as well in our archives somewhere. So we do. Yeah, well, well done for doing all the due diligence on this and actually finding all the documentation. Uh, I read your article yesterday. It's really really good read, and we'll put a link to that in the notes. We've all got summer on our minds at the moment, and I've seen some concern in Sweden that we could be facing another summer like the one in 2018, when we had record temperatures, rampaging wildfires and weak harvests. What are the experts saying, Richard? Is there a cause for concern? Uh, yes, there is, I think. Um, the Swedish state weather forecaster, SMHOE, has a map of fire risk, and pretty much everywhere south of Jävla is sort of classified as dry, very dry, or extremely dry. But if you look at the fire risk, it's much more centred around Stockholm, going west all the way through Dalarna and Värmland to the Norwegian border. So that sort of central belt of Sweden is at very big, a big risk of forest fires right now. And then the dry bit goes all the way down, just inland from the west coast, all the way down to Karlskrona. So that area presumably will be at risk quite soon. Um, mm. And SMHOE doesn't 
seem to have a drought warning system, but Denmark State Forecaster does, and they've been warning of a drought as bad as 2018. So they've been saying that the risk of a drought has only been higher twice in the last decade, 2008 and 2020. So it's actually worse now than it was at this point in 2018. And uh, Denmark's, and I think Sweden probably as well, have now gone two weeks without rain for the first time since about 2006. So it's a it's a big risk. And even if it does start raining in June and it doesn't look like it's going to, the water levels are already so depleted from the last month's lack of rain that even if it's normal rain in June, it will still be there'll still be a drought risk. So it's, it needs to be torrential rain in June to sort of catch up. So it's not looking good. And, and Swedish Radio has been interviewing people from the Swedish Board of Agriculture and the Swedish Farmers Federation who were all saying this year's harvest is going to be pretty bad, more like 2018. I, and I went I went out, actually did a story in 2018 and went out and visited lots of farmers. And it was, it was quite shocking. It was like, you know, the, the crops were all wilted. You know, there were hardly any... Um, mm. Hardly anything on any of the wheat. It was just kind of. They had to put down some animals completely. as well, didn't they? Because they didn't have enough food or water for them. Yeah, exactly. They they had to put down loads of cows because they couldn't uh, feed them, and I, and I think they couldn't even use the meat. Yeah, so it's not looking good. Hopefully, it does rain, but yeah, it's not looking great. Okay, thanks for that. And yeah, we'll um, link to any stories on that in the notes. And another thing on people's minds as we plan our summers is the weak Swedish currency. The krona plummeted to its lowest level in 15 years this week in relation to the dollar and the euro. And I spoke to Alexandra Stroberi, the chief economist at Landsforsäkringar, which is one of Sweden's biggest insurance companies and a bank, about why the krona is continuing to struggle and if and when we can expect it to recover. I think there are several reasons for the weak krona. Um, first of all, the currency market is highly affected by what's going on in the world. And if there's a, a crisis or insecurities, then the market tends to move to safer currency havens like the dollar. And if we look back a couple of years, we have had the pandemic, we've had the, the Russian invasion of, of uh, Ukraine. All these things make smaller currencies less attractive to invest in. I also think it's about, there are expectations of the economy and the market is expecting a weaker performance for the Swedish economy if you compare to the euro area and the US. A third reason might be that we have a very high interest rate sensitivity mm. among Swedish households. So many of them own their own housing and most of them have variable interest rates. So that means that they're very sensitive to interest increases. And that seems to be perceived as a very important risk for the economy and a much higher risk than, I mean, if you look at the public sector and our national debt and those things are super strong, yeah. but that's not perceived as much of a strength as the interest rate sensitivity is perceived as a risk. Sure. And is there any particular reason that it's so low at the moment? I mean, it reached like a 15 year low in the past few days. I think it is due to all these things combined and also together because what came out uh, beginning of last week was that we are expecting a weak performance of the economy. And that implies then that the Riksbank might not be able to raise the interest rate in the same mm. pace or at the same level as ECB, for instance. And uh, Is there anybody who benefits from the weak corona? 
Well, I think that maybe the Swedish government should put some money into advertising Sweden as the big tourist attraction this summer, because I do think that the, the, the foreign visitors would benefit from the mm. weaker uh, currency. I mean, for instance, for an average European tourist, his or her purchasing power in Sweden would have increased some 10% over yeah. the last year. And also another sector would be the exporting companies, the exporting sector. They would benefit from the weak currency to some extent. This has been going on for quite a long time now. What's your prognosis for the krona? Is Sweden's currency going to strengthen anytime soon? Well, that's that's a tough one. I mean, first of all, you should say that forecasting currencies is very difficult. Mm. I mean, period. And I do think that the SEC is undervalued, but unfortunately, that's not enough to to drive the krona any higher. And we don't really see the drivers for the weakening of the krona to change direction anytime soon. And the problem is that if, let's say, recession fears or financial instability reemerge, then the krona tends to perform poorly. So in the long run, though, if we could put this in sort of a hopeful bucket or on the hopeful side, we do expect the krona to strengthen. But I do think that's a topic for next year at the earliest. That was Lens Forsäkringa's chief economist, Alexandra Strawberry. And as she said, one of the consequences of the krona slump is that the tourist industry is expecting a bumper summer in that foreign tourists' money will go further in Sweden. And those of us who live here are less likely to travel abroad. And with that in mind, we thought we'd look at some day trips from the biggest cities that we can recommend. And can I start with you, James? If you live in Stockholm, where should you be headed on a fine summer's day? Uh, there's there's almost an an embarrassment of riches around Stockholm in the number of places you could go to. I mean, the obvious place to start is the archipelago. I mean, get on a boat and pretty much go anywhere you like. It's just beautiful out there. But if I'm going to pick two places to go to, slightly different kinds of places, one place that's just fun and fab is uh, Sandham. So that's one of that's that's kind of on the outer edges of the archipelago. It is, as the name indicates, a sandy island. Um, you can get there by fast boat from Starves Nest. That's probably the easiest way to get there. You can take a bus to Starves Nest and then a fast boat from there. You can take a slow boat from the from the centre of town, but then it takes, I think, a couple of hours. So it's where the it's where the sort of rich brats go with their fancy boats and it's got some it's got a couple of nice hotels and um but is also just beautiful. Another place that's a bit more so we've got a bit more to yourself or at least it's a bit less fancy pants and a bit more and a, and a bit more and a bit more sort of grounded is um grinda uh, mm. which is about an hour away from stockholm and it's just got it's beautiful it's also got i've chosen it because it's also got a, it's also got a pub and for me you know you, you kind of if, if, if you're not very good at picnics, it's kind of an essential element. Um, two other places I would recommend. Maria Fried, which is where Gripsholm Slot is. That's an inland trip, um, sort of on Melon. Absolutely beautiful. This Gripsholm Slot from the Gustav uh, Vasa era, this fantastic castle that's also home to the Swedish National Portrait Gallery. Absolutely worth going to see. And a beautiful town on the lake, on Lake Melleron. Another place is Sigtuna, north of Stockholm. A beautiful town, a historic town, proper old Swedish wooden, um, wooden town. You know, very important important place in Sweden's history as well. So those are the places that I would visit. But really, you know, take your take your car or a train and point it in any direction or a boat and point it in any direction from Stockholm and you've got a great, a great day out. Absolutely. Really good tips there. And I'll, I'll do Gothenburg because I've spent a lot of time there and 
I have to say, um, you mentioned the Stockholm archipelago, the Gothenburg archipelago is also spectacular. And I especially love going to the northern islands. My wife's family used to have a house there on a small island called Kalvsund. And it's just glorious there during the summer. A couple of hundred people live on the island year round. And then there's another hundred or so who move in for the summer. There are no cars, not a whole lot to do, except go for lovely walks around the rocky shoreline, fish for crabs or jump off a pontoon and swim in the salty water, which is a novelty when you're coming from the more brackish Baltic. Then there are bigger islands nearby like Ukara and Herna, which are bustling during the summer and where you can find plenty of really good um, seafood restaurants. Another tip would be to travel a bit further north again over the bridge at Stenungsund and onto the island of Urust. There are some old fishing villages there like Molesund and Helvik Strand that are like poster children for all of Western Sweden. And I'd also recommend a place called Slussens Pankunot, which is a restaurant on the northern tip of the island which hosts concerts during the summer. And people from Gothenburg will always tell you that the West Coast is the best coast. And honestly, it's hard to argue. I do love it around Stockholm too, but here I'm drawn sort of just as much to the lakes as the sea. But the, the seaside in on the West Coast is amazing. So that was Gothenburg. How about you, Becky? Where do you recommend for anyone planning to get out of Malmö for a day? Yeah, so Emma actually wrote an article on this last week, which I will unashamedly rip off here, although I have actually done quite a few of these day trips. Staying on the archipelago topic that you guys were both mentioning, we don't really have an archipelago here, but we have this very sweet little island called Vien, which is pretty much Skorna's only island, which absolutely makes up for not having an archipelago. Uh, it's quite a big island. Um, for a day trip, you can drive or take the train to Landskrona from Malmo, and then you can get the ferry over to the island where you can rent a bike, cycle around the lovely countryside. There's a museum there dedicated to Danish 16th century astronomer Tycho Brahe. I don't know how you would say that in English. Tycho Brahe, I guess. The island, I would say it in, yeah, Tycho Brahe. Tycho Brahe. <laughs> um, the island was Danish until 1660, so that's why it's there. He was actually given it as a present. Um, mm. There's also some nice cafes and restaurants. There's even a distillery called Spirit of Vian. Obviously, you can't take any of their booze home with you, but they do sell their spirits in sustainable loggets, so you can pop into Landskrona on the way home and pick some up. Very good. Östelane is also nice. It's popular for summer house owners, like Richard, and is known for being very picturesque. Uh, it's probably easiest to get around by car, where you can vis visit small villages like Brantevik, Fyllinge, Korsaberia. Uh, there's a castle, Glimmingerhus slot or castle, and there's apple orchards in Schirvik you can visit. Those travelling by public transport, it's probably best to get the train to Simrisham for a nice day out there. Mm. Finally, you can hop over to Copenhagen for the day. To avoid this podcast becoming Denmark in focus, I will just tell you that you can find more information on that. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. Anna. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you can find more information on that and a couple of other day trip ideas in our article in the notes. And I did also just write an article for the local Denmark on how to have a cheap day out in Copenhagen. So if you want to do that, you can check there. Okay. Thanks very much for that. And we also do have articles in our archives um, with day trips from Gothenburg and Stockholm. We link to both of those as well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And now one of the biggest stories in Sweden this week surrounded the retirement of Zlatan Ibrahimovic from top-level football when he was given an emotional send-off by AC Milan fans at the San Siro to bring the curtain down on a career that took him from the suburbs of Malmö to many of the top clubs in European football. But obviously, he's much more than just a footballer. His larger-than-life personality has made him one of the most compelling and controversial figures in Swedish public life over the past two decades. And people with immigrant backgrounds in particular have been talking this week about what Zlatan Ibrahimovic meant for them growing up in Sweden. Richard, can you explain why so many people in Sweden hold him up as a role model? I think he just showed that people with immigrant backgrounds could be sort of cocky, pushy and have this kind of sense of humour when they were dealing with journalists or, or in, on the public platform because that they didn't mm. need to copy this sort of Swedish reserve and self-effacement. They didn't need to be this kind of log on person that they could, they, could, they could be Swedish in a completely different way. And I think that for people with immigrant backgrounds, I think every time he appeared on TV and like wound up the Swedish media by being like outrageously arrogant or, or saying something, you know, funny and competitive and cocky and really cheeky, they all sort of cheered inside because you suddenly think, oh God, it's so fresh. You know, you're so used to like Swedish people on TV just being, you know, not really, not, not going there. And he he just did it completely <laughs> yeah. differently. And everyone was just like, wow, it's like, it's so liberating. So there was a, an article uh, in Svenska Dagblad by the journalist Elaf Ali, uh, and she describes seeing Zlatan when she was growing up in school, almost a bit like seeing the Sex Pistols for the first time. You know, she said, yes. when I grew up, there was like no one I could see myself in. Then Zlatan came and changed everything. And then, and then the punchline is brilliant. She goes, it wasn't long before my teacher called me in for a meeting. So it's hard to imagine. <laughs> I don't know what she, how she started behaving differently, but it was definitely more, more caxig, more cocky. Uh, and and I think he's got he he's got such an incredible way. I think what people underestimate with Zlatan is that he's he's very smart and he's very funny, and mm. people just think it's arrogant. But he's actually he's kind of playing with the journalists and he's he's taking the piss quite a lot. I think he's not. I mean I mean he obviously doesn't have a small ego, but um, he, he's also he's also <laughs> he's also self. Um, there's an element of self mockery. I think you know as well. Yeah. But what I like is um I saw. There's, I think it might be the, the Young Zlatan documentary. And there's this brilliant interview. I mean, I, I, I don't get football at all. I've got like, I just don't, it's just people running around on a pitch. <laughs> I don't, it just means nothing <laughs> to me watching other people play a game. But 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 they interview him and he, I think he's talking about his first big goal at one of the big European teams he went to. And he describes how he had been struggling before to make an impact and it hadn't been working for him. And then he, he really likes, he, he's such a great storyteller. He just kind of explains how the crowd was there and then he he just describes how he moved around on the pitch and what happened and how the crowd reacted and how the other players reacted. And then he comes to the bit where he just shoots the goal in. And, and I've never had anyone explain an element of football to me in a way that made me really understand why people 
why people love it so much. And I, I was going looking for some um, some quotes, and there was mm. one when he got engaged to his then fiance, and and the journalists go, well, va on some uh, you know as a present, and he goes, va what did she get? Honfik Zlatan. She got Zlatan. <laughs> so <laughs> in uh, just where I live in Rosengord, they've got this big mural and it says they've got Zlatan's smile. And it says you can take the kid from Rosengord, but you can't take Rosengord from the kid. So I think when he, especially in the early days, when he was maybe the beginning of his international career, he was seen as a kind of role model and they kind of used it to try and tell people in Rosengorge, you know, you can be like Zlatan, you know, you can, you, you don't, you, 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 there's a possibility, you can make a life for yourself here. I think you can be pretty certain that this is not the end of Zlatan. Like, even if it's the end of his football career, he's got such a personality that I think he will, I don't know what he'll do, but he'll do something. That, but that article from Elaf Ali, it was just, it was, it was a really well-written article and she explained so well how she had gone from being this sort of mousy personality and then she she found that she could be her her whole self because she saw somebody else with an immigrant background who was doing that. But I think a lot of immigrants feel that if I look at my, sorry to go, if I look at my, my daughter at school and her, a lot of her friends are from other backgrounds like African backgrounds or, and they're much louder than the Swedish kids. And so there is this pressure, like, don't be so loud, you know, because, mm. you know, you're from a noisier mm. culture. When you're at home, it's noisier. And then you come out to school and suddenly it's like quiet. Mart mm. rule. You have to have mart rule when you eat, you know, you have to. And suddenly Zlatan is like, no, you don't. <laughs> you can be caxig as you like. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And he's stirred up so many debates over the years about what it means to be Swedish. And in a country where 25% of the population has an immigrant background, these debates around identity personified by him will continue to reverberate in Sweden, not least at this time of the year when students take to the streets to celebrate their graduation from gymnasiet or upper secondary school. And a section of Swedish opinion invariably gets upset about teenagers waving national flags that aren't Sweden's. James, you pushed back against this on Twitter this week, arguing that it's perfectly fine to have dual identities and to express them publicly. First off, who gets upset by this and why? Well, obviously, the people who get most upset about it are people sort of on the far right, I suppose you would call it, you know, the populist right, the nationalist right. Um, so I was just watching on the way here, I was watching the this, this clip by, uh, from a, a guy called Joachim Lamotte, who is a a journalist, but also I'd say these days, you know, kind of quite associated with the with with, with the sort of populist right. He'd gone to um, to film a student graduation in uh, Gothenburg, I think it was, and he was filming kids who who, who were obviously a little bit pissed and waving pissed in the drunk sense uh, and waving flags, Kurdistan flags, and he was, you know, in, in a quite a provocative way, asking them why they were why they were waving Kurdistan flags. And, and there was there was one girl who who responded in a very drunk drunken slur. She responded, "Fuck Sweden!" And of course, mm. this was all clipped out, and it was a it was presented as you know this girl and and and, and therefore as a representative of of these kids in general, you know, not liking Sweden and being sort of anti Swedish, waving their foreign flags, being anti Swedish. First of all, if you took that more in context, when you spoke to this girl's, um, when 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 media went and spoke to this girl's friends and family, they're like, look, she was she she was a bit drunk. It wasn't she didn't mean anything by it, and he was actually being quite provocative in the way he asked the question. So, you know, I think it was very un unfairly done in in that respect. But I think it got um it got quite a lot of publicity, and you know there was this underlying 
argument from some people that, you know, if you live in Sweden, you are Swedish and you wave the Swedish flag, there's only one flag to wave in Sweden, and that's the Swedish flag. And I just found that so depressing because I, I think that, you know, if you come to another country, you might well take on the identity of that country, but you don't, don't do it in a vacuum. You, 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 of course, you bring your background with you, even if your parents came from another country, you know, you, they bring their background with them. And a lot of these kids were explaining that, you know, they were waving these flags for, um, in order to honour their parents. And, you know, it was, it, you know, particularly if it's a Kurdish flag or a Palestinian flag, they're doing it for, the, the, those are countries that have been, you know, um, but disappeared off the map for, for for various reasons, and that no no longer exist as countries, and the people who identify with those with those, with those places, have, you know, feel that feel that very strongly, and you can understand that. But I also felt that, you know, as a British person in Sweden, as someone from a from a rich, majority white Western um, European country, nobody questions my right <laughs> to 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 enjoy my britishness when i when i feel like it but also to be you know invited into to 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 celebrate swedishness as a swedish citizen you know you're allowed to have both of those identities you're certainly you're certainly you're certainly allowed to have your home identity with you um uh, in sweden and you know i felt you know i could raise a glass to the coronation and i can celebrate on swedish national day and those two things aren't in conflict, but it feels that, that, you know, there are some people in Sweden who feel that for people particularly coming from poorer countries, people who are asylum, um, who've come here to claim asylum, or who, who have come as refugees, or whose parents came here as refugees, aren't, aren't allowed that privilege. And I think that's just sad. What do you think, Richard and Becky? Does Sweden need to get better at accepting that identity is not always so black and white? Yeah, I think so. I think Sweden needs to re work really hard and, and get used to these kind of portmanteau terms like Afro-Svensk or Svenskidania or Svenska Assyria and, and have a sense that mm. you can have these dual identities. And, and I think part of the problem is that is that the demographic change in Sweden has come so quickly. And and mm. I don't feel that the idea of Swedishness or Svenskiet has really caught up with it. So in, in it's maybe over 30 years, it's gone to about 25% of the population has some kind of immigrant background. And whereas in countries like Britain or France that maybe have similar demographics, it's happened over a much longer period with a long sort of mm. colonial history behind it. Whereas in Sweden doesn't have that history and it was a very homogenous society and now it's got 25% of the population from another country. And I think the, the way of thinking about ethnicity hasn't really caught up. So I think it's an enormous mm. problem that there's this sort of ambiguity about whether Svensk refers to your citizenship or your ethnicity. And there hasn't been enough of a debate to try and to, to sort of es establish what, what it means in the population. I don't know what, what needs to happen. Either there needs to be a big publicity to camp campaign to talk about new Svensk and or new Swedes or, or, or else maybe there needs to be a, a word that specifically refers to ethnic Swedes so that Svensk can be for the citizenship. I mean, in Kazakhstan, where I used to live, for example, Kazakhstani is people of the citizen, whereas Kazakh mm. is the ethnicity. So Kazakhstan mm. has, I think, it's it's a it's got you know millions of Koreans mm. and Germans and Russians, and it's a, it's a real mixed bag of a country. But the Kazakhs are maybe fifty percent, and they're Kazakh, but everyone else is Kazakhstani, and 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 there isn't that in Swedish. And I think it'd be quite good if there was, but I don't know how to do that. It's maybe not possible. But I think it's it's come a long way. I'd say a couple of things here. I think it's come a long way since uh, in since I first came to Sweden, where people media spoke about svenskar och invandrare, 
as Swedes and immigrants as two separate categories. And I don't feel that they do that quite so much these days. There's a lot more talk about new svenska and you don't you don't you don't put Swedes and immigrants as two kind of distinct categories in, in the same way as, as I think you 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 used mm. to. But I think this this idea of this sort of ethnic nationality is is something that is quite deeply ingrained. And it's not just in Sweden. I think, you know, in Germany, for example, you know, there's 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 long been this idea of, you know, of what, what you know, what an ethnic German is, and it's defined sort of by it's it's defined by um, uh, language and and by history and 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 by, and by ethnicity. And so you know, someone living outside of um, outside of what are the German borders would 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 be seen as German. And you know, if we go back into the twentieth century history, a lot of a lot of problems have been caused by mm. caused by this. <laughs> but but you know, I think if you if you if you if you've read twentieth century history about Germany, you get an idea of what you know, of how Swedes have tr- tr- also traditionally looked at ethnicity. You know, it's it's not, a, and, and, and Swedishness, it's not about a civic nationality. It is about an ethnic nationality. And, you know, it, it just takes time to move on from that. But I think, as I say, I think that we, you know, a lot has happened in the last few decades and it's not going to change overnight, but maybe a campaign would help. I think it's really interesting what you were saying, James, about like, people with immigrant backgrounds getting criticised for not waving Swedish flags. But they're the same people that the far right would say aren't Swedish. You know, it's like they're Swedish on the one hand for the, because they have to have a Swedish flag, but then they're not Swedish enough to call themselves Swedish. I think that's quite an interesting thing as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we criticise aspects of Sweden on this podcast, but we all fundamentally have a lot of positive experiences of the place as well. And I celebrated National Day this year by listening to the anti-racism organization Expos podcast. That's how much fun I had. I did do some other things too. And they had a really, really good episode about Sweden's complicated relationship with the 6th of June and how people still don't really know how to celebrate it. But one of the most interesting things the panelists discussed was whether it was possible to embrace a kind of positive patriotism as an antidote to a toxic nationalism fueled by condescension and xenophobia. And they gave some examples of things about Sweden that made them happy and proud. And we thought it would be nice to also take that positive view and chat a bit about what we think makes Sweden a place worth celebrating. Uh, Becky, can you start us off? I can. But I I think for me, a lot of it is about like solidarity. And I don't necessarily mean that in like a political sense, although I'm sure it's been influenced by the fact that Sweden has been social democrat for quite a lot of recent history. But it's just things like Swedes are quite closed off. But once you get to know them, if you ask for help, they very often will help you. You know, a few days Mm. ago, I was cycling to work and there was someone who had fallen off their bike. You know, this was in rush hour. There were four or five people all standing around. I, when I was cycling, I didn't stop because there were people helping already. But I, I heard someone saying like, oh, let's call an ambulance. They were all helping. And I'm sure they were all on their way to work or something. You know, like, and I, ju- I just think that this whole solidarity, like this idea of you don't often hear Swedes grumbling about paying taxes because it's this whole concept of like, yeah, well, we're paying mm. into this system. It helps everybody. Like you have the welfare state, that kind of thing. And I think a lot of that is, is Swedish culture. If I need help, if I, you know, my neighbor came and asked to borrow some sugar and people talk so much about how like you never talk to your neighbors in Sweden. But I I don't know if I agree with that. I think people, if people ask for, if you ask for help from a Swede, they will help you. 
Yes. Um, and I think that's a really good thing to celebrate. Mm, they love a crisis. They yeah, Swedes love a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> they, can tiny, they, 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 they love socialising by doing stuff. They they find it. They tend to find it quite difficult to just like chat for no reason. Yeah. But but you get like a, a burst pipe in your apartment, and all of your neighbours will be working together. Mm. Yeah, I think I think people. Swedes get a bad rep for not being helpful, and I think they are quite helpful. <laughs> but where, where, yeah, when it where, where, when it needs to happen, they're helpful. It's not they're not going to have a chat with you in the grocery queue very often. No. But but you know they will look out for 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 other people when it when when it matters. But, I mean that also comes from a place of respect. They're not doing it to not be yeah. friendly. They're doing it because they think, okay, this person's busy. I don't want to disturb them with my small talk kind of thing. It's this individualist society, which in many respects is a great part of Sweden, a great aspect yeah. of Sweden. Mm. You know that that you 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 are an individual. You're seen as an individual. You have you have autonomy, and that autonomy is respected and promoted. Mm. And you know quite a lot of the quite a lot of the um the the system of you know the very generous social welfare system, which you know you can have opinions on and all sorts of opinions on. But you know the idea that it's there to help protect individuals' independence, so you're not dependent on family or you know inheritance or, or or your employer you are you are an independent uh, individual and the system is designed to help you maintain that independence mm-hmm. and that yeah the thought behind it is great and you know it, there are plenty of aspects in which it, it, it's imperfect but it, but that I, I do like that that sort of individualistic um, yeah. background. Yeah. Also, also education. Like I think there's very few Swedes that would be, would be calling for you to introduce tuition fees for university. Cause I think there's this kind of underlying argument that everyone should have the right to education. You should be possible that wherever you come from, you can become a doctor, you can become an electrician, you can become whatever you want. Like you shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a barrier there with education. I think that's also, I really like that as well, that, that everyone should have the same possibilities. Despite the fact that, like you said, it doesn't always work like that. But I think the thought there is still something to be admired. Absolutely. On a different note, one of the things I love about Sweden is the fact that it really leans into its traditions. It has, um, you know, for, for a country that that kind of has a self-image of being very modern, and as a, as an, where the image from outside the country is that Sweden's very modern, it's actually also a very sort of traditionalist country in the sense that it... it it really follows it follows a calendar through the year of celebrations that are that are, that are, that are, that, are, that, are, that they've celebrated year in and year out for centuries and they and they and they really go for it and you know it will involve food and it will involve celebration it will sometimes involve some alcohol and we talked about that a lot in this this podcast but it's it's worth it's worth sort of thinking about in the round because it it really helps define um what sweden is you know from 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 um Midsummer to crayfish parties to the way that they celebrate, you know, Easter and Christmas. It's all, you know, it's it's all quite regimented. It, there are there are some very obligatory moments <laughs> in Swedish celebrations, but they give it a sort of regularity and a sort of. I find it. I find it a very sort of um, comforting kind of um, aspect of of, of 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 Swedish society. So for so for all of this stuff about Sweden being, you know, the social democratic side of it and the modernity. The traditionalism is also something mm. that, that that I really like. And also, you know, if you're talking about what Expo were talking about in their podcast, you know, a, a kind of Swedish patriotism, it's already there. They just don't see it. They don't see that when they raise a Swedish flag in their garden, they can't see that that's also, that is already a, a very sort of friendly, non-threatening form of Swedish patriotism. It's great. It's great. It's not tub-thumping, flag-waving, 
it's just a sort of peaceful, um, friendly and open kind of patriotism. It's a very, mm. a very Swedish type of patriotism, you I mean, know, yeah. Lago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I really admire about it is actually the social democratic side of the patriotism in a way, in that coming from the UK, where the class system is just everywhere, it's almost like a caste system. You're sort of born into the ruling caste and sent to Eton and then, you know, and it's it, I find it terrible. I hate the way it works in the UK. And in Sweden, it's there a little bit, but it's much, much weaker than in the UK. And, and in and the most other countries in Europe, and even you know, you you can you can be the son or the daughter of a of of somebody who like is a a manual worker, and then become culture editor of Svenskan, and then your own son could become an electrician. You know, it's 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 much more fluid between classes, but it, and and there's much less of a sort of strong class identity. You know, obviously you would maybe wouldn't feel that if you spent the summer on Sandham, but but um, but but it is much weaker <laughs> than it is in the UK, and it's much also... less. It's much less in the UK. When I go back, I'm always shocked. I'm immediately struck by it. Like yeah. the first person I meet in the UK, I have to sort of negotiate class. I think also you have mm. respect for people. Mm. You know, everyone's seen as equal. It's not that you'd be like, mm. oh, you know, her her son's become an electrician. Yeah, you know, he's not going to uni. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's yeah. like, wow, okay, yeah, great, electrician, perfect. That's a that's a great job. We need those skills. It's their not status that, like, in being an yeah. electrician, and 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 I really like that. I, I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely mm. right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just saying that because my my husband is a is a manual working class worker. Well, <laughs> I, I, I do have a lot. Of <laughs> what, what about things like like the long history of? A democracy here or Swedish feminism are these things that the country can be rightly proud of yeah absolutely. feminism definitely I mean you know in the wrong long history of democracy I mean I guess I, I wouldn't I don't know about the I don't know about pride in the history of democracy and I think you know we've got a lot of things with our democracy today in Sweden that I think we need to be very vigilant about so I think that's less a source of pride and more a source of um well concern and um and a need for vigilance. But but certainly, you know, the fact that Sweden's come so far in gender equality is a great yeah. thing. Even look at my friends in Denmark, you look at my friends in the UK, Sweden is really, really good. It's a really good country to be a woman in. Like, I never had to consider whether I should stay home until my daughter went to school. I never had to consider whether I'd be going back to work. It was almost expected of me that I'd go back to work. And, you know, there, there can be issues with that as well. Maybe you want to homeschool and you can't do that in Sweden. But I, I do think that, like, I almost don't notice how gender equal Sweden is because it's things that just make sense to me. I think it kind of, the gender equality, I think, goes down to another thing that I really admire about Swedishness, which is historically when Sweden does stuff, they do it properly you know whereas in the uk you can say oh yeah we're gender equal but do absolutely nothing to allow women to to to, to, to work and have children you know whereas in sweden you go well if we're going to be gender equal then we need to do this and this and this and this and then and they so make they put, they put processes they do, in place they do yeah. the plumbing you know it's the same thing with mm. uh with like when they look at a house in the uk they go well what about your plumbing why are the pipes on the outside you know they do the basics <laughs> they, 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 they they do the details they make sure they make that there's a there's a there's a element of Swedishness, which is maybe not, maybe the school system is an exception, but, ge but generally when they do stuff, they do it Look at every the time way. they make a new law, mm. all of the utredning out, all yeah, of the experts exactly. that work. I mean, that, that mm. one about permanent residence tests, that was like 400 pages long. I don't think there's many countries that mm. would just as part of a legislative process, get experts to write a 400 page long 
think listening to everybody from all different aspects of civil society just to kind of make this proposal like yeah, i think that's a really yeah, that's really it's impressive. amazing even yeah. it makes everything take ages yeah but it means that everything is done properly yeah it is very thorough although you know i think then you know i think there are there are certain issues i think <laughs> There are certain issues that we talked about before about the um, about about the legislative process that uh, that leave something leave plenty, a lot to be desired, and you know the the absence the the absence of a second chamber, the absence or the ability of of of, of a um of, of 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 a parliament to basically abolish democracy if it wishes with with relative with relative ease is is and, is and another gov- issue. Governments have become adept at ignoring all of this advice, and governments have become adept at, no- at ignoring all of this advice. You look at uh, Larg Rod at the Council on Laws, which is supposed to be you know eminent judges who will tell tell the government whether something is um, you know appropriate from a legal perspective and follows legal principles, and they tell them that they they tell the government that something doesn't follow legal principles, and the government does it anyway. Yes, so mm. you know all of this is good. But it's only as good as the respect that politicians have for it, and um, when they when they have less respect for it than they, than they used to, it can be a problem. Mm. But guys, we're meant to be positive. Oh. Only positive. I was going to say, oh, let's get back to the good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, but, look, but look, you know, uh, you've, 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 I think it's 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 so important that when you when you talk about the positives, that you also you know you also look at the other yeah, side absolutely. Of but most of the most of this is you know over over this is an overwhelmingly a wonderful place to live and a, and a well run place, and long may it remain so. Thank you for listening and do please tell people about the podcast if you think they might like it. Our panellists today were James Savage, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.